I was being an asshole. I'm sorry. And then don't justify. Don't justify. Just say, I'm sorry. Own it. And then don't say to yourself on the, on the inside of your head, you loser. Just say you did your best. Just that calmness of, and kindness to self talking to another, it breeds respect because you're not justifying. You're not making reasons. You're not blaming. You're saying, okay, I was an asshole. And then you own it without judgment. And then you can ask with compassion and get curious. Why? Oh, I didn't get a good sleep. Oh, I thought you were going to reject me. Oh, I didn't think I was good enough. Oh, and you come up with the reason. And now that you've got the reason, you can work on that. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon podcast. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. And I am your guest, Alana Banana. No, just kidding, Alana (laughs) Pratt. (laughs) Glad to be here. So thank you for having me. I love the name of your show as well. I love whiskey. So just so you know. So do I. (laughs) Uh, Before we actually jump in, I I don't feel like it's, I don't want to, I want to give you your due diligence, give you all your credit. And I know that you do a lot of different things. So if you can just share with the audience in your own words, what you do, and then maybe one thing that they wouldn't know by looking at your Instagram. Interesting question. So yes, I'm an intimacy expert. I have been for 20 years. I've worked with uh, celebrities. I'm a six-time author, a cum laude graduate of uh, Columbia University. Um, what they might not know, but I'm pretty vulnerable. That's my whole shtick is about, can I, can I own my badass credibility and can I not be ashamed and be very vulnerable, transparent? Because there's nothing to be ashamed of about exactly who we are, our wobbly parts and our triumphant parts. So pretty much I tell everybody everything. What would they not know? Sometimes, not in this very moment, I have my vibrators plugged into my laptop during interviews like this. Not today, but that would be something (laughs) I don't mention on my website. Tell us about how you actually got started being an intimacy expert. Uh, You know, I'd be curious to know like family and friends, like what that conversation is like. It's always so taboo to have those conversations. So, and you seem very, very comfortable and confident in this space. Like, how did you come to even get here? Yeah. Well, I would, I always say that I I was a hot mess and I pretty much still am from time to time, but I, I became an intimacy expert because I realized I did not have an intimate relationship with myself. We often think about intimacy just as genital copulation, sex, right? It includes that, but it's so much more. It's do we criticize ourselves, blame ourselves um, when we speak to ourselves, or do we do the opposite? Do we avoid? Do we absolutely abandon ourselves when we feel scared, sad, mad, right? This intimate relationship. I didn't have one. And Lana, I was like three steps ahead, just trying to get you to like me, anything to do just to be safe. And that was my upbringing since a little girl. So even though my dad and I are super close right now, when I grew up, he was an alcoholic and drug abuser. And I was in the living room, five years old, dancing like a Sufi dancer around the Ottoman to um, Jesus Christ, superstar. And I was in my bliss and he put a hand, a fist through the wall. I guess I didn't hear him say quiet down. And so that was one of my first experiences of like, oh my God, my protector could be my destroyer. And I always became hypervigilant, straight A student, anything to be out in front to be safe, look good, do it right so that I would not be hurt. Um, And so while that led to a lot of wonderful skills that I have, it also led me to be afraid and quite a people pleaser for a lot of my life. So I learned once I had two divorces and the only one in common was me, I said, okay, (laughs) let's have a look here. What's going on? And I did not 
like myself. Anytime I looked inside Lana, the humiliated part, the scared part, the insecure part, oh, hell no. And so what I discovered when I looked on the inside is I didn't like who I was. I saw a woman who was insecure and uh, afraid of being rejected. And instead of going in with compassion, I went in with criticism and judgment, you know, chop, chop, we need to change this. So when I began to have a relationship with myself on the inside, it wasn't kind. But then over time, I learned the concept of unconditional love, which is I love me, even if I never change forever. That would be love without condition. That would be unconditional love. But who wants to love their insecure parts, right? It really takes something to love ourselves, even if we never change. But that's the key. That's the magic. That's the moment of grace. Because if a part of you is like, really? Even if I'm always a little wobbly, you still love me? Yes. And then it rests. And then that part of us can come home. And then we can have the experience of oneness and confidence on the inside, no matter what's happening on the outside. Can you talk a little bit about the benefit there? Because I think, you know, you'll hear, you said you had two divorces and you started wondering like if if you were the common denominator, like if you weren't loving yourself. And I feel like there's a lot of, I don't want to say shame around that, but oftentimes people don't want to see if they might be the problem. So it's easier for them to just say everyone around them is a problem, but it's, you're only harming yourself, right? So can you speak to that a little bit? Like how that kind of helps you? It's not just putting the blame on yourself, but helping yourself in the process. Yeah, there's a difference between ownership and judgment. So to me, judgment is cruelty and blame and criticism, et cetera. Like you'll find a part of yourself that you want to change and then you're mean to yourself. But we, how many of us are literally motivated from cruelty? Not me, but a lot of us are inspired by kindness. And so when you take ownership, like, okay, I do passive aggressive. I do people pleaser. I do um, say yes when I mean no. When you discover this, if you just own it, but you don't do the judgment and you lean in and you go towards that wobbly part of yourself and you just give him or her a hug, that's all that part of you needs. Kindness without the strategy of changing, that's that's what the, the, that care and love that so many of us crave. We can call it compassion. We can call it appreciation for the tough times how the very worst can bring out the very best in us. But ownership is is empowering. And when someone else owns it, let's say you're having an argument and someone doesn't blame, someone says, okay, can I swear, by the way, Lana? Is that allowed? You can do whatever you want. Okay, good. So let's say, um, because I'm a a small town Canadian girl. I have a foul mouth from time to time. But anyways, like, let's say you want to own it. You know what? I was being an asshole. I'm sorry. And then don't justify. Don't justify. Just say, I'm sorry, own it. And then don't say to yourself on the, on the inside of your head, you loser, just say you did your best. Mm-hmm. Just that calmness of, and kindness to self talking to another, it breeds respect because you're not justifying. You're not making reasons. You're not blaming. You're saying, okay, I was an asshole. And then you own it without judgment. And then you can ask with compassion and get curious. Why? Oh, I didn't get a good sleep. Oh, I thought you were going to reject me. Oh, I didn't think I was good enough. Oh, and you come up with the reason. And now that you've got the reason, you can work on that. You can work with a counselor or or a healer or or a therapist and go to that root cause and heal it. And then you can be proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. And the next time it happens, you take that beat. You don't hit below the belt. You choose to open your heart in the face of anything. Because when you close your heart, your brain turns off and it's only fight or flight or freeze. And you're going to kill before you get killed. And when you close your heart, your intuition and instincts also turn off. 
So you can't hear yourself. You can't trust yourself. And that's really a scary way to live. But when you're brave and you open your heart and you don't judge yourself and you just own it, then all of a sudden your intuition guides you. You just know before you think pre-thought you have that. Uh huh. Uh uh. And also the best of your brain turns on. You get creative. You can think abstractly. You can think outside the box. You're empowered overall. And your partner, should you be in a relationship watching you be like that, they respect you. They'll learn to trust you more. You'll get closer. Conflict can actually bring you closer. And the main um, predicate here is, can we do this with our heart open? That's bravery and courage. Closed heart, you're just going to probably hurt yourself and hurt the other. Yeah. Um, on that same note, so you actually take me into one of my first questions, but I think it's important, like you said, you know, we can't, we want to do it. We don't always do it. But like you said, not saying that, but, or this is the reason why just the, I'm sorry. That's something I even try to practice. I'm not a pro at it, mess up all, on it all the time, but unless you're, you're being asked, right? Like what happened here and you want to open the conversation. Otherwise let's just start with the, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And the, when you say I'm sorry and you just shut the fuck up and you don't give a justification or a reason or blame, I call it sitting in the fire. It is very uncomfortable Mm. because we want to justify, we want to look good and we don't want to disappoint another. We don't want to disappoint ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we often spin in our head with all these reasons, but if you can sit in your body, sit in the fire, breathe, it's only going to take five to 10 seconds of breathing through that discomfort until it begins to subside. It begins to integrate. It begins to process. And most of us don't make it past two seconds before we just start talking again. But if you can just say, I'm sorry, and you can say, I'm sorry to your little one inside. You can say sorry to the person on the outside and just shut up and just connect, make it land, make your sorry land. Don't just talk to them, but talk into them. Make the I'm sorry go all the way like a sweet divine nectar into their heart. Like mean it. Yeah. Mean it. Let it land. And then if you don't interrupt that, they will say, well, I was a little bit cranky too. And you're like, (laughs) right. Thank you. And then all of a sudden you're on, you're on track for the resolution. It's getting vulnerable. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Because I, you know, we know that when someone's apologizing, apologizing to us. And we know that we're apologizing to them. We know if we mean it and they're going to feel if we mean it and vice versa. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And so when we get used to this kind of ownership and taking that beat or sitting in the fire or not making excuses, all of this inner mm, relationship with yourself, I call an intimate relationship. Can you be vulnerable with yourself and not disconnect from yourself? Can you be honest and raw and real with yourself and not judge yourself? All of these internal skills we can then use on the outside in our relationships, our romantic relationships, but also our professional relationships, even our kids. And so this is a good skill to learn. You get quite the return on investment in all areas of your life. If you're willing, slow down and come back home to yourself. Right, right. Okay, so how would you frame this? Or what are the key points that people can keep in mind when expressing themselves, whether it's an apology or just the feelings that they're having? How can Mm. they express that to their partner without attacking their partner? Or how can they receive their partner's expression of their feelings or their frustrations without Mm. feeling attacked? Yeah, so let's receive first and then we'll we'll give. So when something's coming at you, I have this funny little thing I do. Because it's kind of intense. And for us to try to hold another's emotional eruption is a lot. So it's not your job to fix them. 
change them or hold their emotions, but just to be this sort of open spaciousness so they can they can express. And then you just, you, you hear it and then you can just put it down. Literally imagine the energy like a thing coming at you that you place down, keeping your heart open, lean in, and then just say, and t- tell me more. Or, or I heard you, what else? Like right. lean, lean in and, and be that welcoming space because most of us instantly react instantly. Yeah, but you, and now the fight's off to the races, right? right. So even just the word, thank you, which doesn't mean you agree necessarily. It just means I heard you. Thank you. Tell me more. Thank you. What else? Thank you. I'm not going anywhere. Or you could even say, got it. Or you have every right to feel that way. I want to know more. Tell me more. Uh-huh. As if they're, I guess we could say expressing in a way that's mm, playing fair. Now, if they're beginning to hit below the belt and get really cruel, um, and it's, it's that we could call that verbal abuse. You can have a rule in the relationship, like timeout or standby and, and just say, I love you. And this is, this, um, is not our agreement of hitting above the belt, not below the belt. I'm going to go for a walk for 20 minutes. I will return. And I look forward to continuing this conversation, leave some version of, I'm, I love you. This is not our agreement. I'll be back in 10 minutes. That would be like an even shorter version because that's right. self-honor, but it's still staying connected, but it's putting down a healthy boundary and then keep your word, come back. And then when you come back, say, I'm really looking forward to hearing more or just tell me more. I'm uh-huh. here, uh-huh. right? Because we need to let the people in our life know that we're not a punching bag or a doormat, right? Yeah. And we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And so you're going to lose your, your shit from time to time. Mm-hmm. And when we do that and we give time and space, it allows the other to go, I'm sorry. Thank you. Let's continue. Right. Both people can own it. So before we go into, you know, expressing ourselves to our partner, I am curious to know your take on this. So I did a, an episode on apology styles and there are a lot of people that want to hear, you know, they need to hear, I'm sorry. Some people need to see the, I'm sorry, whether it's through action or gifts or things like that. I'm more of a person that it's not really necessarily about the words or I don't need actions or gifts. I just, I need future actions. I need to know that you're not going to do it again. So I don't need the apology in the moment. I want to see change. So I'm curious on your thoughts. Like, let's say, for example, someone needs to hear the words, I'm sorry. You say, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go walk for 20 minutes, come back. There's no, I'm sorry there. They feel like their partner's engaging with them in the conversation, understanding where they're coming from, but they can't get the sorry. And that's something that they personally need. How do you, how do you kind of move on from that? Yeah. Well, when people are triggered, there's no point really talking about anything. It's like a little kid in a grocery store with the sugar um, cereal. And if you, they want the sugar cereal, and if you try to take it away, they're going to cry harder, right? You can't talk to somebody who is freaking out, who's triggered. They're not even there. They're in their fight or flight or freeze. So once you're back again, agreements before fights happen, agreements before you move in agreements before you talk about the money or about the sex or about how we're going to resolve an argument when everybody's calm is a really good conversation to have so proactive measures versus reactive then totally like before Mm -hmm. yeah before the fight happens as you begin to get into a relationship so tell me something about how you this could be out for dinner tell me something about how you enjoy um repairing after a conflict you know you just get to know each other tell me how you like to be apologized to Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you, you get curious about this because you don't always have to be the same for it still to work. So yeah. that would be a proactive way. And yeah. if it's 
if you haven't had that conversation, you're like, oh, that would have been a good idea. But now we're fighting like cats and dogs. You still can say, hey, I would love to go for a walk and talk about how we could resolve conflict even faster, get closer even after we have a disagreement, like invite it in the positive and then ask these questions once everybody's calmed down. So it's very important to know um, what triggers the other, how the other gets fed, like with, with love languages and apology yeah. languages. Like you're, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love, I love that. This is a, a way of expressing that I think really works. And it's called like a sandwich, um, like a piece of bread, the middle of the sandwich, another piece of bread. And the first thing is like, check in, like, are they, can you talk now? Would now be a good time? Like, don't just launch in with what you need to say, ask permission, right? right? Um, so that's the first part of it. And then, and then always start with an, an affirmation, partly for yourself. I know we love each other, or I know um, we're we're both doing our best here, or I know we're in it through everything together till the end, Mm -hmm. or, you know, some sort of affirmation of gratitude and confirmation at the beginning, because it puts you in a good headspace. You're not trying to win the argument because if one win, one, one loses. And it lets the other one also put down their defenses and be reminded, yes, this, this is where we align. This is where we agree. Mm-hmm. And then can I tell you something, a truth from my heart, or can I tell you what's true for me again, permission, the more permission we can ask of them to allow our, our communication, the more they they can receive it rather than launching in out of the blue. You're just going to get defensiveness. So can, can I tell you what's true for my heart? Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And always say, thank you. Acknowledge each other, be appreciative of each other. And then again, I, not you. You know, and when you, their, their, their walls are right up. They're, they can't even hear anything you say. Right. I, and then see if you can go a layer deeper. See if you can process your anger on your own before the conversation, if possible. Again, that's high level. But if you can process all the anger by going for a walk, going for a run before you have this conversation or hitting a pillow or dancing to some crazy heavy metal, something just to get the energy through you underneath the anger, most of the time is fear or sadness. And if, when you speak from your heart, you can say, I, when, when you don't say the, you don't say the <laughs> anger and go, I'm so scared. Yeah. I'm so scared. You lead with that as opposed to you or I'm angry because it's going to go a lot better. Isn't it so brave to get there? So brave, but it's yeah. very hard to say to someone who just revealed, I'm scared. I'm sad. To go, yeah, you're a jerk. It's, um, I don't know why you'd really necessarily want to be in a relationship with somebody that would do that to you when you'd be that. Right. Yeah. And that'll be information for you. And then the end of the sandwich would be, and and tell me your thoughts or how do you feel about it? What's true for you? Yeah. Right. And give them space to, to respond and truly listen. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, you're not just asking for space for yourself, right? You have to be willing to give the give space. I like that you mentioned too, about, you know, if there's one winner and there's, then there's going to be a loser. And I also like to think, you know, if I, okay, I'm, I'm winning here and you're losing, but if you're a team, if one person's winning and the other one's losing, then you both lose in order for you to, to both, you guys have to both win to win in general. Right. Yeah, you're very well said, Lana. And so that was like sort of how to resolve or get through a difficult conversation, speaking or receiving. And we reviewed what to say ahead of time or the agreements you can create ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But, a, but a wonderful practice. It's in, I have a partnering app. It's called Heartmates and it has mm-hmm. three parts. 
The dating app portion is still in beta being developed, but for a year and a half now, we've had an online intimacy curriculum. And for a year and a half, we've had what we call conscious connection calls every single week where the members, instead of, I got to find the one, we become the one to find the one, which keeps the one. And we practice communicating. So we call these dyads in these conscious connection calls. (laughs) And the, the first couple questions are always about affinity, connection, and getting on the same team. And then the third question is a little bit more revealing and, and, and tougher and takes bravery to reveal that level of vulnerability. So can you imagine a relationship where you're building goodwill, you're feeding the plant of the relationship every single week with, tell me something you like about me back and forth. And all you get to say is, hmm, thank you. And you do that for right. five minutes, once a week, you're filling the tank with goodwill and not just taking each other for granted. The second question for five minutes back and forth, tell me something you think we agree on. Tell me something that we're on the same page about. Tell me something you think we align on. Mm -hmm. And this is what you were just referring to about win-lose versus Mm win-win. When you can do this on a weekly basis and you've heard it and you think about it and you reflect upon it, when you do have a difficult conversation, you remember that first part of the sandwich. Hey, I know we align on wanting to have great communication, right? Because you've talked about it every single week. And that goodwill creates safety, trust, respect, and builds on being more compatible together in the way that you communicate. Okay. So on that note, I want to know what are, or can you provide examples of a productive way to communicate versus non-productive Wait, right? You want to have a goal. There needs to be a resolution in this disagreement. So kind of along the lines of things you were just saying, if you're yelling at someone saying they're a jerk, like that's not, we're not getting anywhere with that, right? So can you just provide like maybe some examples, maybe things that might not be so clear to someone where it's not just simply like name calling, but things that are not going to be helpful for a resolution? Yeah, just what I did right there. Yeah, like these exasperated sighs. (laughs) We pick up on body language, tone. What is it? 93% is nonverbal with our communication. Mm -hmm. That's a lot, people. The look on your face, the rolling of your eyes. Are you leaning an inch away, crossing your arms? Laughing. Crying, right? Mocking. Yeah. Mocking. Or, or talking at them, not with them or to them. It's all felt. It's felt in your tone. It's felt in your body language. And so to really notice what do you do? Do you check out? Do you have a curtness to the tone of your voice? Um, Do you not respond? Do you do the silent treatment, right? Um, These, we could call them various forms of passive aggressiveness. So basically you're angry on the inside, but you don't say it. You don't feel it and process it. You just let it spill out with the intention to hurt and to create separation or safety. That might be all you feel. Well, I'm going to hurt them before they hurt me. But yeah. all, of that, all of that adds up and it can be felt. And you, you've walked in a room where you could cut it, cut the energy with a knife, right? Oh, You're yeah. like, What's going? and there's no words, but you feel it. So pay more attention to these, how you feel. And what is it going to take to drop your walls? That takes, mm-hmm. bravery. what is it going to take to open your heart? More bravery. And back to the intimacy, which, which is what I teach. How on earth could we ever open our heart to another if we don't have our own back? Right. And so we might, we might (laughs) risk rejection from another, but we don't have to reject ourselves. That's in our control. 
We can't control another, but we can control whether we reject ourselves. So if you go into a conversation saying to little Lana, hey, I don't know how this is going to go. But one thing I do know is I got you. I love you. Mm -hmm. and You're enough and you matter. And I have your back forever, no matter what. And the times that I've abandoned you, I apologize. I am working on this and I'm committed to always having your back to the best of my ability. And this is how you talk to yourself. Then you, you hope the conversation goes well, but you don't need it to. And you know the conversations where someone's attached to winning and being right, making you look wrong. It's not a friendly interaction. But if you're okay, no matter how it goes, and you can loosen your grip on how important and significant this conversation is and, and let go of attachment, the other one feels it as spaciousness. And they feel safe to tell their truth. And it brings people closer. So pay more attention to your tone, your energy, and your own internal relationship so that you truly can be as unattached as possible, heart open as possible, and uh, authentic as possible. I'm curious to know your thoughts on why we tend to take out our frustrations on our partner. So even if it's not specifically a problem with them, you know, you have a really hard day at work and then you go home and you let your partner have it. What's the, why are we doing that? My understanding, because I've been trained for 20 years in quantum psychology and spiritual technology, the inside creates the outside. No <laughs> one's really out there. Ultimately, we are all light. And so everyone is a holographic projection of ourself, which I hate. So it's when my coach says to me, oh, remember who your ex is? And I'm like, yeah, he's me. I'm him. I get it. But when we really <laughs> No, we, we really recognize his cruelty towards me is really my own cruelty towards myself. His lack of listening to me is really my own lack of listening to myself. His emotional unavailability is really where I'm not emotionally available to my little scared, ashamed, humiliated Alana. When I can get that as a concept and then start to embody it and then start to own that and take responsibility for that. If I'm angry and taking it out on my partner, the one I'm really angry at is me. Whatever happened at work that pissed you off was probably because of something like maybe you didn't speak up or you said yes when you meant no, or you didn't ask for that raise, or you were quiet on that project and just went along with everybody else. You did something somewhere along the line that led to your validated frustration. So really the one we're angry at is ourself. And so if we can own that and then apologize to our partner, it is not your, it is not your fault. Mm -hmm. Or even if we're not even that aware and we have these kind of conversations with our partner and your partner could say, even if you said something really unkind to, to that person, the person could say, wow, it sounds like you've had a rough day. Do you want, do you want me to listen to you? Or do you just need some space? You know, you can be the bigger person. If it's always like that, that's not going to work. But you can be there for one another to have those human imperfect moments and know that and do your own inner work. Wow, this isn't personal. I didn't do anything. Clearly, they've had a bad day. Clearly, they haven't processed their own self-hatred. I can be self-honoring and, and let them know, I, I recognize you're upset right now. How can I support you? Get out of your way. Be a listener. What's going on? Right. That yeah. takes, that takes a lot, but that's also possible. Yeah. So talk to us about 
the difference there because there are, you know, we're going to have these communication. Um, we're, we're not going to always align on communication, right? We're not always going to agree on certain uh, conflicts, but where do you draw that line on, are we at a certain place in our relationship where we're butting heads all the time? Are we just not compatible here? Yeah. Um, is there compromise, compromise to be made? Are you then losing yourself in the process? You know, there's some people that you, you, you don't know when to let it go, I guess is my point, you know? So how, how do you kind of have that, that moment to realize it? Because I think a lot of people are always asking, how do I know when it's over? Some people just say, if you're asking, it's over. Some people have a different take on it. So, yeah, yeah. I believe relationships are meant to create conflict. They're meant to make us grow. The idea that this Pollyanna Disneyland relationship will never fight is an illusion. If, if life is duality, that means there's half pleasure, pleasure and half pain. Mm-hmm. There's going to be half support, uh, half challenge. There's going to be half chaos, half order, half day, half night. This is life, right? So if you are challenged by your partner half the time, that's normal. If you're supported by your partner half-ish the time, that's normal. The question becomes, is the challenge abusive or, or an invitation to grow? So for example, let's say your partner is late. That could be an invitation for you to be patient, leave and get there on your own, and they'll get there when they get there. It's an opportunity for growth. If your partner's hitting you, that is not an opportunity for growth. That is abuse and that then you leave. So it's really about looking into the challenges to see is take take ownership of where are they helping me grow? Where maybe I've been very quiet in past relationships and never spoken up and they talk at me all the time. Well, the that might not be fun, but the invitation is speak up more, right? So it's a challenge that's for you. Or let's say it's around sexuality and you've you've decided this is the kind of sex you want and they want this kind of sex. Well, there's a lot of area in the middle that you could both explore with boundaries, with consent to grow in your expression and receptivity of sexual play. So it's not necessarily bad just because it doesn't align with you. So another way to, to look at this is if seven out of eight times they come home in a bad mood and you have to say, for the seventh out of eighth time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> another bad day. Do you need me to listen or okay, that's too much, but one or two times that's called a human. That's called a human, right? Yeah. Right. And we would want the same grace for ourselves. It doesn't feel good to know ultimately that you're hurting your partner, but to have a little bit of grace about it and not be judged back and be invited into our maturity and our growth that means I, I, I'm better because of you. We're better together. Mm-hmm. So if you're butting heads a lot, I never say throw in the towel without doing counseling on some le- level, because if you don't grow, you're going to attract the exact same person in another body. And yeah. it's probably going to be worse. And so definitely, whether you end up staying together or not, get the lesson of what this relationship is teaching you. Get to the place of gratitude where you can see, oh my God, they are me and I am them. And here's the gift of this relationship. And then once you've integrated that, you no longer see them as the devil. You see them as your master spiritual teacher. And then you have conversations about, are we still on the same values, same life track, same goals? Are we still going in the same direction? And if we are, let's continue with these new tools and these new integrated wounds to be our best selves for ourselves and for one another. So it's not just, 
I'm half broken, you're half broken and half and half equals one. You complete me. You better not change and I better control you. Those were my first relationships. Um, It's more, I'm whole, you're whole. You've owned your work that I trigger in you, but you've owned it. I've owned my work that you trigger in me, but I'm not blaming you. I've owned that. The two whole people, two whole people can create one and one is infinity. I mean, you can create a lot with this person and you can still be annoyed by them on a regular basis, but you're like, oh, there they are doing that again. Another opportunity for me to become enlightened. Okay, here I go. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gratitude comes in. Wow. I'm actually better because of you. Thank you. You are my annoying master spiritual teacher. Thank you. Yeah. So you touched on, well, actually you touched on uh, couples therapy and I want to jump into that, but first I want to ask you some more examples of what healthy versus unhealthy boundaries would be. How are we Mm -hmm. expressing our boundaries versus, you know, maybe just saying I'm setting rules for you in this relationship. You know, Um, I think a lot of times people don't see that boundaries are just kind of a healthy protective for the person. Right. And it's just not like telling your partner what you should do. You get, I I seen something on on social media and it said, you know, you're allotted 30 minutes a week to play your video games and things like that. So there's boundaries for ourselves, right. In a relationship and not just like, I'm telling you what to do and how to, how to live your life. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. And I'll, I'll still say the more I grow, the more I, the more I know, the more I know, I don't know. And when it comes Mm. to boundaries, I have never in general. So I'm in, I'm heterosexual. So I've never met a man who enjoys not being free. Not never. I've never met a man that likes to be controlled, likes boundaries, likes rules, not one of them. And so the whole idea of boundaries and rules, I've yet to have an experience of success with them. Now, agreements to me are different than boundaries. We agree that we will not hit each other. We agree that if we have a conflict and we need to take a timeout, we will always come back and make up for the damage done, own it, find resolution. And if we can't, we will go to a counselor. Like we have our agreements. We have agreements around monogamy or or being polyamorous, whatever your truth is, you have agreements. And And then I think what feels the best is when someone's an allowance of you, not trying to control you, but like, okay, so you're a video game person and I'm going to be an allowance of exactly who you are and exactly who you're not. And if I'm going to be with you, I'm not going to try to change you for my liking. You are who you are. Yeah. I'm not going to say I love the video games for four hours a night. I'm going to invite you to consider we might have more fun if we did other things, but I refuse to change you. Because as soon as we start to take over trying to change the other, we become their mother or their father. And then the libido goes down and then the resentment starts. I've just never seen boundaries work. What I have seen work are people that are willing to choose partners they can be an allowance of. And allowance doesn't mean you like it. Allowance doesn't even mean you prefer it, but you can work with it. Mm-hmm. Because then it gives each partner spaciousness to be exactly who they are. And then over time, because you love the other person, you realize that every time you do the, the, the video games for four hours every night, they're sad and you don't want them to be sad, but you don't want to not be who you are. So all of a sudden it goes down to three hours, then two hours, not because they told you to, or they threatened to leave, but because they were just authentically missing you and you cared and they were vulnerably inviting a different behavior. And so I believe allowance is better 
than boundaries and agreements based on what works for both people that we stick to are healthier than ultimatums or, or, or such. And then I guess even before that, when you get into a relationship, you've got deal breakers. Some people are like, I will not date a smoker. I, I will have children. I will not, you know, and so those ones aren't negotiable, but it's not like a boundary. It's like a choice. This is who I am. And if that's not who you are, totally okay. I'm looking for a partner who wants to, um, both partners work. Let's say I'm not interested in only one partner working and the other one, not working. Like that's just a deal breaker for you. Not right. Not wrong. Just your truth and your values. Yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. Own who you are and just learn about yourself enough to know what are the qualities in them that bring out the best in you and you fully self-expressed with them being an allowance of you will bring out the very best in them. Yeah. Go find a partner like that. Okay. So I want to jump into this couple therapy, couples therapy that you touched on a little bit already, but there's a lot of myths around it, you know, and I like to look at it as you don't wait until your teeth are rotten before you go to the dentist, right. Or until your car breaks down before you go to the shop. So can you kind of dive into that? Like, what are the benefits of couples couples therapy? Why are we not having to wait until we're breaking up or we're getting a divorce before we go there? Some people I know do that in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would yeah. be really wise if there was a rule that all of us had to go through a certain level of counseling or therapy or, or what have you before we got married. Um, so first off, I'm not a marriage counselor. I've been divorced twice. I'm not going to call myself a marriage counselor. <laughs> And even relationship coach, I don't even say that because I've, I've had several breakups, but, but intimacy, I got that one damn straight. I know exactly how to have that in internal healthy relationship with self so that you can be brave, yeah. keep your heart open and communicate from your best place, which happens to lead to better relationships and stronger marriages. Mm-hmm. But just to put, just to put that out there. Yes. Thank so, you. So the way that I work with couples is that I don't have an attachment to the, to the end goal. I don't believe a person who's married for 50 years is better than a person who's married five times for 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. Like why, why do we think longer is better? Bigger is better. What you could learn the exact same lessons with five people or one person over those same 50 years. Yeah. I'm not God for their purpose, their life journey. I don't know their soul's evolution. So when I work with a couple right out of the gate, I say, if you're looking for me to save your marriage so that you're good enough and you did it right, I'm not your person because I don't know if your sacred contract is actually over. And I'm just here to help you consciously uncouple or to support you in phase two or phase three of your delicious relationship. Mm -hmm. That's like right out of the gate, no attachment to the outcome. But my commitment is each of you will be your most uh, integrated wounds, most authentic self, most fully self-expressed, unapologetic, heart open creature. And that in and of itself inherently is going to show, show the way. And it's not going to be my idea. I'm yeah. just going to ask questions so that your deepest truth arises and help you communicate in an effective way to create that and sustain that and grow that and thrive over time. So mm-hmm. I don't believe that sitting two people down on a couch <laughs> all the time, it works because the only reason you're upset is because they're triggering your own shit. And the only reason the other one's yeah. upset is and there's, and not, it's not always appropriate to reveal all the underpinnings of why that's still an issue for you. It might be about an ex-wife or an ex-husband. It might be about a mother or father. It might be something that would hurt their feelings to hear. 
it's not, we don't have to tell each other everything. So yeah. what's worked best for results for me is have a, a session, although I work with lesbian or gay couples as well, most of my clients, 80, 90% are heterosexual. So session for her, session for him, session for the couple, session for her, session for him, session for the couple. Mm-hmm. And those, those private sessions are anonymous. I don't say to each other what happened. This is a safe place for you to only deal with your own stuff. And, and when they finally resolve that without the other one watching, they, they, they often are left with compassion for their partner and are very quick to own and apologize um, when they don't have to be in the same room and who's going to win. And yeah, why didn't you tell her that? And, and sometimes it gets quite out of control. And so by the time we get to the couple session, we really get a lot farther faster when I also do the private sessions. Now, sometimes when I do VIPs, Lana, with people, which is a longer four to five hour day with, with a couple, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do day one with her, day two with him, day three as a couple. One time I took a risk and it was a great risk. There was a very deep trauma that she had gone through. It was um, multiple rapes over and over and over. And this, the idea of safety, she was hyper vigilant to want to be safe. And while I'd done some private with, work with her around it, I decided to do a, a trauma integration in front of him. And I asked him not to interrupt, but just to hold space with his heart open. And something about her, him seeing how scared and hurt she was awoke something in him of compassion and protection that he was way more aware from that moment after at parties of how he maybe didn't think he was leaking his energy sexually to other women, but once he saw how wounded she was and what it took for her to be brave and heal that wound, something noble woke up in him and it was profound. And then vice versa. I did, I had done plenty of private sessions with him as well, but we went to another level of depth with his wounded little boy. And I asked her to hold space, not interrupt, keep her heart open in the room while I integrated that wound and he was big and strong and rich. And she, she didn't have that tenderness in her communication because he's this big, strong guy. But when we did the integration, it was back when he was five years old and they made fun of him on the school bus. And ever since then, he's been wondering when is he going to be rejected next? Is he good enough? A lot of his success and his big muscles came from overcompensating. Am I good enough? And by her witnessing his vulnerable moment of his little boy inside going, Will anyone ever love me? Allowed her to communicate with more, take that beat, be a little softer, be a little more gentle, be a little more feminine in her communication. And even though he's big and burly, he has a, he has a vulnerable heart like everybody does. It actually was a benefit to witness the others processing. It inspired compassion and connection in a way that I never had risked before. So I don't have a cookie cutter way that I work with couples. But I do have a spot on intuition and 20 years of experience of what's best for this particular couple on their journey with their souls to heal each of them and create the highest outcome for their relationship. Interesting. So as you talk about, you know, the, the session with her, session with him, session with the couple, do you find that this is an opportunity for you to see p- both perspectives before you see the couple together? Or is it more so just to understand who they are individually? Like, you know what I'm saying? Is it to see them, to see who they are as um, 
components of the couple or just to see them individually? Both. I would say both. When okay. I meet a couple right out of the gate and I have coached just one half of the couple, the other one just refuses to, to ask for help, refuses to go to therapy. Um, and so and they're I, not there even for the couple half. It's just right. It's just one person. And it. I used to think I couldn't create results like that, but I can, because if one person changes, the other has to change. It's a scale. And while I think I can get farther faster, if both people do the work, it actually hasn't been required to create improvement, um, and getting couples back on track. And they don't even know Alana Pratt exists. They don't even know. And the marriage is just getting better. So that's over there. But in yeah. terms of couples, if I'm going to work with a couple, I want both couple on the initial call. They're both on board. They're both committed. No one's going to give up and bail. You know, if things get tough, like it's an agreement. And, and then I notice how are they together? Because I'm noticing the wound. I'm noticing the trigger. I'm noticing how each of them are a gift for each other's evolution. And then I take them into a private session and we work on their individual and they're often a little different because that trigger is not around. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'll sometimes be a little funny. I'm like, well, look at you, Ms. Confident. You weren't, you didn't say one word in that other, in our couple session or, or look at you, Mr. Vulnerable. You didn't let your wall down one little bit in that session. Well, because she, or cause he, and I'm like, okay, they're the catalyst for this wound. Where did this really begin? And then we do the, the inner work. So it's, mm-hmm. there's different um, skill sets, different um, vulnerabilities and a safety. There's always a bit of a risk. If you're hundred percent yourself with your partner, they could leave. They could leave. Yeah. That's always in the back of everybody's head. And so to be totally transparent with your partner based on that risk is very, very brave. And so there is a gift in having me, the counselor who won't leave where they can open up all the way. And I can integrate that wound, which gives them then the confidence to go, okay, there's no one else in the whole wide world. I want to spend the rest of my life with, and I want to be safe, seen and understood by you, my partner. Mm -hmm. And so doing the deeper work allows for that deeper communication when you come back together. And, um, it's been breathtaking, the difference that I've been able to make in people's people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. So this, these sessions, it's really amazing because, And I'm curious what you would say to people that have this mindset, but you're, like you said, you didn't have to speak to the other person in this couple, you know, you're just kind of helping. I I like that, that theory, you know, that it's shifting because if someone is kind of coming to their own and like, maybe you're afraid to show all of yourself to your partner, but do you want to show half of yourself and always be walking on eggshells just to keep this relationship? Or do you want to be yourself and and maybe risk losing that relationship right but what would you say to people that feel because I we all have traumas we're never perfect we're all going to be effed up in some kind of way right how would how or what would you say to people that feel that they need to be completely healed from their traumas before they can even look to get into a relationship oh I don't think I don't think we need to be completely healed one because I don't think we ever get completely healed right as soon as you get into a relationship, more shit's going to be flushed up anyway. So you're never going to get there. Yeah. I do believe though, when you've had a, a big breakup, a divorce or a longer term relationship or a pattern of short ones with the same issue, hmm. two steps back can allow you to take 10 leaps forward. So not forever, but take some time to go. Okay. Like I did the only one in common with those two divorces was me before I get out dating again, let's have a look, see at what's going on. Let's start to do the work and then let's start to date and start to practice. Can I be my best self, 
in these relationships or do I slide back to that, to that wound again, in which case keep doing, keep doing the inner work. So at my last retreat, there were singles and couples, and it was revealed by some of the single people that it's actually safer just to stay single. I don't have to risk rejection. And so I I said to them, hmm, but what if you never reject yourself? Then the safety you're looking for out there, you cultivate in here. How would that change your outlook on dating? And so, yes, do your work. Don't wait too long to get out there and practice. But if you are noticing a pattern, definitely slow, slow down, do the inner work, or you're just going to get the same result again and again. And then you're going to think to yourself, what's wrong with me? And one day give up on love. And I wouldn't Mm. want that to happen. Right. I feel like we're only touching the surface on so many things and I'm enjoying speaking with you. Um, Can you come back next week so we can jump into some listener questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you. Yes. 